This is a fresh message, so it could go anyway, okay? It could go good or it could go horribly wrong. But the good thing is you've got fresh manna from heaven. So this is as fresh as for me as it is for you this morning. Um, it's a brand new message. Uh, we've been in this series, I guess, um, called Simply Be, isn't it? And I'm um, talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And uh, Phil asked if I could speak around the topic of blessing. And I guess it's a, a topic that is potentially misunderstood. And um, I'd, love to, I'd love to read a scripture to you this morning. If you uh, want to read with me, you can open your Bibles or that are in front of you or open up your phone. I didn't give the guys any scriptures, so you, you won't know what I'm doing or where I'm going. So don't worry about that. Um, I'm going to turn to Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 this morning. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Paul says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And 14, this is really where I want to get to. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of God. Now, I was interested uh, this week in uh, what blessing actually means, because we hear a lot about in church, don't we? We say, I'll be blessed, brother, you know, or, you know, as Americans would say, you know, we say, I'm so blessed, you know, I've been blessed by the Lord, you know, I, I just feel so blessed right now. We, we have all of these Christian catchphrases, don't we, that we, that we throw out there, our Christianese. Um, but I was interested, I actually had never done really a study on blessing, and so I went to the dictionary, and Mr. Oxford explained blessing like this, being endowed, one who is endowed with divine or special favor. So favor has a very close tie to blessing, and in many occasions in the Bible, blessing can be almost translated as favor. So I want to preach a message to you around the idea of favor within the context of blessed, what it means to be blessed in this scripture. Amen? A few years ago, I was scrolling through Instagram on the tube, and this is when advertisements, advertisements just came out on Instagram. Don't laugh at me, okay, because you, you will. Um, and I came up with this ad. This ad just popped up on, on my Instagram feed, it was the classic ad. It said something like, want to earn an extra two and a half grand every month without doing much. You can uh, model with us and you can travel the world and get paid to do it. And so I was reading this thing and I was like, I just, I just got hooked. Like, I, I mean, I, it got me hook, line, and sinker. You ever had those moments where you're like watching an ad and you're like, you just totally buy in? That was me in this moment, this advertisement. So I signed up to this thing and um, I made an appointment and I went to this random place in Northwest London, this tiny little studio. And I walked into this place, and um, this super fashion-y photographer was like, oh, stand over there. And uh, I had to go and stand, and he was like, you know, had his camera out, and he started taking photos of me and this sort of stuff. And I was like, awkward and stuff. And I was like, how do I stand? I, I, okay, like this and like this. Anyway, so he took all these photos of me. And then after he took the photos of me, I had to go into this, like, tiny little room. 
and this Cockney fellow was sitting at the desk, and he goes, you know what, yeah? He goes, you're absolutely gorgeous. He goes, and I think you could be the next Brad Pitt. He goes, I think I can get you some work. The thing is, yeah, we need to release the photos today. So you need to pay me 450 pounds to release the photos. I know my Cockney accent is awful. <clears throat> it's not as good as Phil's, is it? I mean, come on, let's be honest. So anyway, this guy did, I think I could get some work. But the thing is, yeah, you, you, can't, you can't think about it. You've got to say yes or no right now to release the photos. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I have arrived. I am going to be the next Brad Pitt. I'm going to be paid to fly all over the world. This is my moment. The favor of the Lord is upon me. It is before me. It is behind me. It is around me. Favor ain't fair. You know, I had kind of that moment where I was like, I got the favor of the Lord. I'm moving up in the world. This is going to go really well for me. So guess what I did? I paid him 450 pounds on the spot. And I walked out thinking that I was moving up in the world until I got to the door and I saw another guy come in the door. And let's be honest, he didn't look like a model. Um, and, and, and he walked into the same office and my ears pricked up because I heard the Cockney fella speak up. And he said, you know what, yeah? You're absolutely gorgeous. And I think you could be the next Brad Pitt. Thing is, yeah, you need to release the photos today. And I realized in that moment, I had been absolutely taken to the cleaners. I had been done over one so badly. I'd been absolutely scammed. And I was walking out of there thinking, the favor of the Lord is not with me anymore. <laughs> Have you ever had an experience like me? Maybe you went to the airport and you turned up and, and, and you were at the, the desk and, and the lady said to you or the man said to you, they said, excuse me, sir, it's your lucky day. You have been upgraded from economy to business class. And you've been thinking, Ooh, the favor of the Lord is upon me. It is before me. It is around me. It is above me. It is behind me. Favor ain't that. And you walk into that plane and you're thinking, man, God is so good to me. Things are looking up. Or maybe you got like a a new contract on your phone, maybe you got given a car, maybe you got a good deal on the house, maybe you got a new job, maybe you had a financial breakthrough. Whatever it was, you had a breakthrough externally in some area of your life and you thought, whoo, the favor of the Lord is upon me. <laughs> when you think of favor, what do you think of? I think for most of us, when we hear the word favor, the word blessing in the context of church, we think that it has to do with prosperity, don't we? We go there in our minds. We let our minds wander to prosperity. We let our minds wander to external events. We allow our minds to go to things that happen to us. The the model agency, the, the next Brad Pitt, the, the great job opportunity, the financial breakthrough, the new house, the new car. We think, whoo, God's favor is upon me because good things are happening to me. But what happens when things don't start going so well? What happens when life leads you up the garden path or life leads you rather into the valley of the shadow of death? What happens then? 
Oftentimes, for many of us, we, we start asking ourselves questions like, where did the favor of God go? It's gone missing. Oh my God, like, am I out of the will of God? Has God's blessings run out? Did I do something wrong? Did I, God, did I mess up? Did I say something? I'm really sorry. Like, and we start, we start our minds start wandering down this, down this pathway and down this, down this garden trail of thinking, man, now I'm outside of the blessing of God. And when we view the, the, the blessing of God, the favor of God as merely external events that, that happen to us, then the favor of God becomes something that we walk in and walk out. It becomes like the London summer, doesn't it? The English summer. It's like here one minute, then it's gone the next. And we're like, what happened to the summer? It's vanished and it's here today, but it's gone tomorrow. And the favor of God becomes a bit like that in our lives. It's here today and then it's gone tomorrow. When I read the Bible, I'm not denying the fact that God cannot put a special favor and a special grace on certain people at certain moments in time. I'm not denying that God cannot do that or He doesn't do that. But in the context of the Bible, the favor that we see talked about more often than not is the favor that is demonstrated or is outworked, rather, in the context of our relationship with God. What is favor? Here it says in the Scripture, Galatians chapter 3, Paul puts it like this. Let me read it to you again. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Favor is not unpredictable. The favor of God is not unpredictable. It's not like the English summer. It's like an Aussie summer. It's like blue skies every day. It's predictable. It's constant. You can depend on it. You can rely on it. You can know it's there in season and out of season. What was the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham that is available to you and I today is not the fact that we're believing for a son like Abraham was. The blessing of Abraham who lived before the law was this that he found right standing with God based on his faith. God saw his faith and credited to him a righteousness that cannot be earned or deserved. That is the blessing of Abraham that you and I have today. That you and I can stand before God knowing that we are right before him knowing that his favor, that his goodwill, that his smile is upon us, not because of anything that we have done to appease him, but because of our faith in him. In the New Testament, the Bible talks a lot about grace. Paul talked about it so many times, it's almost innumerable. He says in here, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace that you have been saved. In the Amplified Version, it says, for it is by grace and in brackets, God's divine favor that draws you to Christ through faith that you have been saved. Grace, in other words, in the New Testament can be defined as God's unmerited, his undeserved, and his unearned favor and goodwill. Did you know that you have God's unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor today? In season and out of season. 
What does it mean to be blessed? It means to have God's favor. And we can walk out in his favor knowing that he is for us and not against us. Somebody who walked effortlessly in the favor of God was a guy by the name of John. We all know John the Apostle today. He was one of the 12 guys who spent three and a half years or so with Jesus, walking with him, following him through the Judeo countryside. And he says something very peculiar in his writings. He wrote the Gospel of John. A number of commentators have talked about this, but I want to talk about it in the context of, of favor and walking right before God because John was somebody who was incredibly close to Jesus and knew Jesus um, just about as well as anybody did. And he wrote this about himself in his own account. He says, six times refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's kind of a weird way to describe yourself, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to describe yourself, don't describe yourself in third person because that's kind of like socially awkward as well. You know, if I was like talking about myself, you know, what I did yesterday, I wouldn't say, and Simon went for a bike ride and then Simon watched the rugby and Simon had a nice afternoon and then Simon wrote his message. You'd be like, who's Simon? You'd be like, I'm Simon. You'd be like, that's really weird. You just explained yourself in third person. Nobody does that. <laughs> But John does. <laughs> he explains, he talks about himself in third person, which is really weird, but the Holy Spirit allows him to do so. So I think there could be something in that. The other thing he says, which is kind of strange, is this. He talks about himself in third person, but he says, the disciple in whom Jesus loved. That's kind of a weird way to describe yourself as well, isn't it? It's not like he said, the disciple who loved Jesus. He said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I'm not sure if any of the other disciples actually saw his writings because they may have passed or, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they never saw his gospel account. But we do. I can only imagine, though, if the other disciples saw his gospel account, they might have said, really, John? Like, really? Because from the sounds of it, it seems as though you're saying, like, you were Jesus' favorite. Like, you're saying, you're talking about yourself in third person. And in talking about yourself in third person, you're saying, you're the disciple who Jesus loved. Well, John, we were there, and we didn't see it like that. We kind of saw it like we were all, like, loved by Jesus. You know, we were all with them. Like, we all did three years with them. We, he showed up to all of us in the room. Remember that? Like, it's not like he had favorites, John. But again, the Holy Spirit allows John to write this under his inspiration. My question is why? Why? And I guess my answer or my response would be this. John genuinely believed that he was Jesus' favorite. So the question is, was he? Well, the scripture also goes on to say in Romans and in other places, God is not a respecter of persons meaning that God has no favorites. So let me explain it like this. We will all know this. I don't know if you ever did this when you were a kid, but me and my sister did. We went to our parents, and I remember us going to my mom and my dad, and we're saying, Mom, who's your favorite? It's me, isn't it? And then my sister would say, No, it's me. I'm your favorite. 
and my parents would say, you're my favorite, but you're my favorite. You're both our favorites because we love you just the same. And that's true, isn't it? But the same is also true in the context of our relationship with God. John genuinely believed that he was Jesus' favorite. But was he Jesus' favorite? Yeah, he was. But so was Peter. And so was Andrew. And so was Thomas. And so was James. And so am I. And so are you. We are all God's favorites because we have all been found in favor today. You have received God's unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor because of your faith in God. And this is the blessing of Abraham that has been given to you, and you have been endowed with divine and special favor. You are God's favorite. I can stand here today under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and say, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. And you could do exactly the same because you are God's favorite because you've been found in favor. Can anyone say amen? I want to give you three things, okay, that we can take from the life of John, because John walked effortlessly in this. He was like, just walked through it six times in his gospel account, not just once, six times, over and over and over. He refers to himself throughout, and the disciple whom Jesus loved reached the tomb first, and then Peter said to the disciple whom Jesus loved, it gets really annoying, it's like, okay, John, we get it, enough. Like, so he, he walks effortlessly in it, he just believes it, okay? I want us to take three things, when you know that you've got the favor of the Lord in season and out of season. It ultimately enables you and empowers you to overcome three things. The first is your feelings. Favor over feelings. Because today, you might not feel as though you're God's favorite. You might not feel as though you have favor. Once again, you might see favor as prosperity as external events that happen to you. Maybe you're struggling through life at the moment. Maybe finances aren't looking so good. Maybe your job opportunities aren't great. And so you're like, well, I'm not favored of God. Nice for John to say that, but really I'm not favored because I don't feel favored right now. And often we lead our lives through our feelings, don't we? I remember when I was about 17 years old and this was the time where I really got sort of stirred up or fired up for the Lord. Like, you know, initially when I was 17, it was in a church meeting and I was like so passionate for God and stuff. And, you know, me and my friends would go out and give out tracts. Do you remember tracts? The evangelical tracts. We would give them out to people and people would throw them on the ground and whatever. But we were just like, yeah, we're winning people. And, um, you know, we would, we would have prayer meetings on like a Friday night when I was 17, 18 years old, rather than going out partying, you know, whatever. It was weird, but we did it. And because we were just fired up for the Lord, we just loved them. And, and, and it was about a year and a half later that that feeling, that, that first honeymoon sensation, you know, that we all sort of experience when we first become Christians, started to wane a little bit for me. And I was like, what, how, what's happening? I don't, I don't feel like so, you know, like uh, stirred up anymore. I just, you know, I'm not feeling it anymore. I'm not feeling God's presence all the time. What's, what's wrong with me? And I, I went through this whole thing of like, you know, up and down, and, you know, sometimes in church, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling it again, and then go away from church, and, oh, no, I'm not feeling it again. I, I guess I'm doing something wrong, or, did, you know, I'm outside of the will of God for my life, and I realized years later that God was teaching me a very important lesson. He was teaching me not to be led by my feelings, but rather by my faith. 
The Bible says the righteous, those who are in right standing with God, they walk by faith and not by sight. The Christian life is a life of faith. We don't always see what we want to see, but we walk by faith and not by sight, not by our feelings. John talked about faith almost more than anyone else in his gospel account. At the end of his account, he, he wrote, I write these things, so he's talking about what he said about himself as well. Remember, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. I write these things so that you might believe. Not that you might see and feel, but that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we have eternal life in Him. I write these things so that you might believe. You might not feel favored today, and that's okay. But favor is not determined. It is not based on your feelings. It is determined and it is based on your faith in Christ. You have favor because of your faith. And some of you, I think you need to start declaring that the favor of God is on you. Start talking like John. Start talking in third person to yourself and start saying, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, but that's me. So I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, I am his favorite. I am favored. I am blessed. I have grace. And watch as you start speaking and declaring in faith, your feelings will catch up. Favor over feelings. Yeah? Second point, favor over fear. For so many of us, I think fear can hold us captive, can't it? It can, it can incarcerate us, it can shackle us to fear of man, fear of the future, fear of failure. I mean, there is a lot of fear in the country right now, isn't there? The mainstream media constantly talking about Brexit and how it's going to be an economical catastrophe, house prices are on the down, jobs are going to be slashed, um, austerity is on the rise, fear, 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 fear. But God is countercultural to the spirit of the world. In Romans 8, 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. When you know you're favored, when you walk in favor, you know you're a son. The spirit you received, we cry out, Father. It does not make us a slave again to fear. God is countercultural to the spirit of the world. He's not making us a slave to fear. He is setting us free from fear. His favor is setting us free from fear. You know, John faced a lot of fear. He was in the boat, whatever it was, when, uh, when they were in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus appeared to them like a ghost, and they were all scared, and they said, who is it? And Jesus said, it is I, do not fear. And he calmed the seas. And then Jesus was in the boat and they were waking Jesus. Like, Jesus, do you not care about our lives? We're going to die here. And he woke up and he said, why are you afraid? I am in the boat. It is I. And he spoke to the sea in the storm and he calmed it. And then when Jesus was arrested and he was taken away, the disciples hid in fear. When Jesus appeared in the resurrection, they were all scared it was a ghost. He said, do not be afraid. It is I. Touch my hands, touch my side. 
when Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples, John and Peter, they were put in prison for healing a crippled man. They were then put in prison again and then beaten, 39 lashes. They were brutally beaten. And then they continued to preach the word of God. John was boiled alive. Then he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And guess what he writes? He says here, there is no fear in love. Okay, John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And then he writes this. We love because he first loved us. And it's almost as if in this scripture, he is referring to his third person reference. He's like, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who Jesus loved. We don't love because we loved first. We only love because he loved us. It is clear to us that the orientation of John's existence is not around his love for God, but rather around Christ's love for him. He talks about it over and over again. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. I'm not boasting about my own love. I'm boasting about Jesus' love for me. He says here again, whoever fears has not been perfected in love, meaning that do you know God's love for you? Do you know it? Do you know that you're favored? Do you know that you're set apart? Do you know that God's smile is towards you? Do you know that God is for you and not against you? Do you know that he's with you? And do you know that he'll never leave you? He is for you, and he has not given you a spirit of fear, uh, given you a spirit of fear, but he has given you a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind, in which we cry, Abba, Father. Have you been perfected in love? Have you received the love and the favor and the grace of God today? We love because he first loved us. The orientation of our existence as Christians is not around our love for God, but God's love for us, and John continuously goes after this in all of his writings. Favor over fear. And finally, favor over failure. Favor over failure. And I don't know whether you've failed today, and maybe you have in some area of your life. And oftentimes when we fail, we think, that's it. I've done it now. God doesn't love me anymore. God can't love me. God's favor, it's not, it's not with me anymore. It's, that's it. I'm outside of the will of God. I guess, I guess that's it. I want to draw your attention to a story that John writes about in the last chapter of his book. Um, and it's when Peter, you remember Peter? It's when he denied Christ on the, on the night of his arrest. On that night, they were all sharing the Last Supper together and they were talking about things and Jesus was basically telling them, guys, I'm going, I've got to go. And where I'm going, you cannot follow me. And Peter stands up amongst them and says, Lord, even if all of these guys, even if all of these disciples, even if all of them fall away, I will not. I love you. And I'm ready to come after you. I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows three times tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm your guy. I'll die for you. I'm ready to lay it all down. I'm ready to come after you. He boasts 
about himself. He puffs himself up in self-confidence and he, and he talks about how much he loves God. And he says, Jesus, I've got you. And as the story goes, Jesus is arrested and, G- and Peter tries to follow him and he denies him three times, once to a little slave girl. And then as the cock crows, Jesus turns around and sees Peter. And Peter, the Bible says that Peter runs off and weeps bitterly because he knows that he has failed Christ. Peter goes off to the Lake of Galilee and he goes back to maybe to what he knows. He's fishing there. John's with him, a couple of the other disciples. And he's been fishing all night. And there's a figure on the beach who calls out to them and he says, hey, hey guys, did you catch anything? And they say, we've been fishing all night, we haven't caught anything. The guy says, on the beach, he says, try the other side of the boat. So they're like, whatever. So they get their their lines, they throw it on the other side of the boat and the net is filled with 156 fish. They account all the fish, 156 fish. In a moment, they look up at the guy and in that moment, Peter realizes it's Jesus. He's naked, he's like, he throws his clothes off, he dives in the water, and he swims to Jesus, and he runs up on the beach, and they embrace. And then they start cooking a little meal on the beach. Jesus sits with Peter, and we have this amazing conversation that takes place. And Jesus uses a play on words to essentially restore Peter from his failure. Now, in the Greek, let me just explain this quickly to you before we finish. In the Greek, there were four words that are used for the word love. With, with our English language, we only have one, right? So it's unfortunate. So it doesn't have quite the impact. But there are two main words that the Bible uses to describe love. One is agape, which is essentially God's love for us. It's like perfect love. It is not just um, a love that comes out of feelings, but it is an act of will. It is self-sacrificial. It is denying oneself. It, it, when Jesus says, love your enemies, he uses agapeo. You know, so love your enemies, go beyond your feelings, self-sacrifice, an act of will. Um, he's using that sort of word for love. Another word is phileo, which is like friendship love. Like, I like you. Like, I feel affection towards you. You're a mate. You're a good guy. You're a good girl. You know, whatever. It's a phileo type of love. And so Jesus... He says this to Peter. He says, hey, Peter, so uh, do you do you agape me more than all of these? Oh, gosh. Do you love me more than all these disciples? Referring to the night where Jesus said, where Peter said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, even if all these guys leave you, I love you. I got you. So Peter responds by saying, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know you're my friend. Jesus says again, hey, Peter. He says, feed my sheep. He says, hey, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Third time, Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you phileo me? Not agape. Do you phileo me? Do you like me as a friend? Peter says, yeah, Lord, you know all things and you know that I phileo you. 
So Jesus says, well, Peter, feed my sheep. Be a leader. Be a pastor. And when you're older, you're going to go to places that you don't want to go. You're going to be dressed by people who did not dress you. He's talking about the manner in which Peter would die, a crucifixion upside down. But the manner and the context of this conversation is so fascinating because in our conversation today, you know, in contrast to John, John talks about Christ's love for him, but Peter talked about his love for Christ and he puffed himself up so much that he said, look, even if all these other guys fail, I will not. And so Jesus comes back to him and he says, Peter, you need to learn something here today. You need to learn something from your failure. It's not so much about your love for me as it is about my love for you. No matter how hard you try, you'll never perfect your love for me, Peter. You need to rely and orient your life around my perfect love for you. And even if you do fail, know today that I still have a plan and a purpose for you because my favor is towards you, Peter. And your future, my plan and my purpose for your life is not predicated upon you perfecting your love for me, but rather it is predicated on my perfect love for you, Peter. So you need to know, Peter, it doesn't matter how much you try and agape me, you need to know it's more about my agape for you. And in those moments, Peter's heart was restored. And Peter found himself walking in a boldness and an ease after that point, which he had never known up until that Do you know today that you're found in favor? Do you know today that you're blessed? Do you know today that God's love is upon you? Do you know today that you are God's favorite? Today, walk out of this place knowing that God is for you. He's not against you. He is with you and in season and out of season. Amen. Why don't you close your eyes as we pray. Father, we're thankful today this whole Christian experience is not so much about us proving our worth and our value and our ourselves to you, but Lord, we, we take a moment and reflect upon ourselves and we remove any self-confidence and we, we look to you, Jesus. We acknowledge your perfect life, your perfect sacrifice on the cross and your subsequent resurrection and ascension. Today we thank you that it is by grace that we have been saved, that it is your undeserved, unmerited, and unearned favor.